Hello everyone, my name is Wais Asma. Welcome to another episode of Two Ways to Skin a Cat, a show where we talk career experiences, entrepreneurship, and investments. The main aim is to show that there's more than one way to be successful other than just climbing the corporate ladder. We are live on LinkedIn and YouTube, and the show will be available on podcast later as well. If you are watching live, please drop a one in the comments so that we know we're not talking to ourselves, and drop a two in the comments if you're watching the recording. My guest for this week is Fatima Mahmoud, Chartered Accountant, Certified Internal Auditor, Entrepreneur, Business and Career Coach, and Non-Executive Director at Agrico as well. Fatima, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for the invite and for having me. To jump straight into questions, tell us your story. Where do you come from? And maybe outside of work, who is Fatima Mahmoud? So um, I'm a mom of, of uh, two boys, uh, the oldest uh, sibling, um, born in, in Johannesburg. Um, my mom is from Mozambique. My dad is actually Portuguese. So um, I, I'm trilingual. I speak Hindi, Portuguese, uh, English, uh, Afrikaans here and there. Um, and really, I'm just passionate about my, my dad is an entrepreneur so um, and most of my family. So I've grown up in an environment where entrepreneurship is uh, everything. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the only one working and my entire family struggles to understand that. I have experienced entrepreneurship before. I've had my own businesses, uh, scaled them and then sold them. Um, I just enjoy, uh, you know, doing different things. I enjoy variety and I enjoy trying different things. Um, always one of my mottos is I'm creating a not-to-be list. So, you know, I try different things, try different ventures, try different roles, um, see what I like, see what I don't like, and then move on to the next thing. So I guess that is how, um, besides professionally what I do, um, who I am, my, my sons keep me very busy. I'm a soccer mom. Uh, I have to manage their diaries more than I have to manage my own. That's how busy they are. Um, wife, daughter, friends, um, that's how I'd summarize myself. Okay. No, that's great. That's great. Uh, two things stood out for me when I looked at your profile. First is entrepreneur and internal auditor. Normally, those two don't really go together. Internal auditors are normally part of like large listed corporates, and entrepreneurs are normally running their own thing. They want to be in control. So it's a different kettle of fish. How do you marry the two? Very, very true. And I think I became an entrepreneur um, after in my career. So I first became an internal auditor. Uh, and you know, I, I love process, I love system, and I needed to understand the back end of how things work. And once I understood that and you go through uh, different big corporates and you understand and you realize that there's a certain, the, the backbone of what thrives for any business of whatever size doesn't change. Um, and then with my history of coming from a family of entrepreneurs, I always had that. And I think all of us at any point in our life, all of us want to own our own business at a certain point, irrespective of what we're doing. Um, I then went on and I started my own uh, businesses and I brought that discipline of process and understanding uh, into my business. But at the same time, I was a very, um, I was, I, 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 
the first three months in both of my businesses, I didn't do one sale because I was so driven on process and this is how it should work and this is the value I bring so the customers will come to me. And that's when entrepreneurship hit me hard because you don't learn any of that and you have to change your mindset. And I had left a job, I wasn't earning anything and three months of not having anything hit your bank account teaches you many things. And that is when I started that journey of understanding what entrepreneurship is. And I had to let go of that discipline to be able to drive the business and, and grow it, right? When you're in the beginning, you have to wear so many hats. I wasn't just the auditor. I wasn't just the accountant. I had to be the salesperson and the operations person. And I had to bring in the sales and the deals and network and communicate. Um, we don't learn communication when you're in corporate and, and you're training and you're doing your articles, even in internal audit, the clients are there. You are assigned and you go and you do your work. And now I had to learn the hard way. And that then is how I managed to mix the two, to understand and have that base of what is needed, but at the same time to understand what uh, makes a business thrive and what do I have to do on that end and adapt and merge the two. And the professional that I am, and it makes me very different, is because I always remember that and I bring the two merged up uh, versions. I call it the best of both worlds. Um, in terms of what we do and it helps me because as an entrepreneur you know I knew the importance of process control documentation policy where other entrepreneurs we just we just want to sell we, we just want and when you have to do it at a later stage it's like one or two years gone down and now they're thinking about policy but because I had learned that I could embed it from the beginning and I think that is why I'm successful in scaling my business and then able to sell it off because there's so many people who want to be entrepreneurs but they don't know how to set it up and that helped me Trying to fix compliance at the later stage is always a very costly exercise, definitely. Exactly. I want to stay on this a little bit. So tell us a little bit more about that internal audit qualification, because we haven't interviewed someone with a CIA yet. How okay. do you, you, you touched on it a little bit, but and you mentioned how it benefits you, but would you recommend it to others who are not sure what to study first? Because my initial understanding, what, what I thought before I interviewed you was it limits you to be corporate. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So I became, uh, I studied internal auditing. Uh, I was doing my external audit articles. I had completed my board two at that time. And I had a year and a half of training and I loved to study. So my then MD was a certified internal auditor and he had an internal audit division. And he saw that, I'm, I mean, my portfolio was well taken care of. I was looking to dabble in something else. And he said, hey, why don't you come and join me on a few internal audit assignments and if you've got capacity and if you like it you can at the same time get your CIA uh, designation because I just had to um, register for the four parts and then do it and my external audit articles would cover um, for my internal audit articles. So I did do internal audit um, clients and I met the KPIs based on that, but I also had the external audit article experience. And um, that really showed me uh, a different aspect, even in terms of how you do external auditing. External auditing is very statutory driven, very um, compliance related. Whereas what I learned from an internal audit perspective, we dig deeper. 
um, we look at processes that are not only related to what ends up in your financial statements because we're not driven on only giving an opinion. And that helped me understand a business much better. Even when I went into any uh, internal audit assignment, I was not seen as, oh, here come the external auditors just to point out what we're doing wrong. I was actually seen as someone with the knowledge and the skill set to help make a difference, to help ensure compliance, to help deliver, um, you know, on efficiencies, in improve the frameworks and improve how we do things. It wasn't, I, I was exposed to items that weren't only um, financial related. I looked at HR processes. I looked at um, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, governance frameworks. Um, I looked at uh, operational items in terms of how the business was working operationally and with my uh, finance skill set, how can we embed processes on non-financial items? And my advice is, so, so there's similarities, but it's so much more broader than what we learn as CAs and in external audit. And if that interests you, and if you want to make a difference in that aspect, um, you know, you do your internal audit articles, it's two years, the exams are online, um, the Institute of Internal Auditors uh, offer uh, many different courses. Um, and I was very privileged because they were an audit client of mine. So they were my um, audit client and I was exposed to meeting them, uh, understanding how they work. Um, so I knew, you know, in terms of registration, etc. I would strongly suggest if you're driven in terms of that, and even if you're doing external audit articles, after that, you can get the credits, go and write the exams, experience it. It opens up your mind really in terms of non-financial aspects and how a business thrives. And the satisfaction for me was to see a project to an end. In external audit, you issue the report, you go, and next year you come and see if anything has been done. In internal audit, you look at financial and non-financial, you help them develop the plan, you help them implement, you monitor, um, you know, and, and you're seen as a valued uh, finance business partner. That, that's a term that we use a lot in FP&A, but I really do believe that the internal audit aspect, you, you also become a, a really trusted finance business partner. Some of us enjoy it, and if you do, um, definitely pursue it. It's, it's, it's so worthwhile. I feel like you have to have the personality for it. That, that, that's what I gather. You do. You do. And if, if, if anybody's got any questions for, for, for Fatima, we'll be responding to questions at the end, but please add them now so that we don't miss them. Um, let's talk a little bit uh, about your business and career coaching side. Uh, who, who is your main target audience when it comes to that? So my main target audience is not your C-suite executives. I think that, um, you know, for senior leaders and C-suite executives, there's so much of that already available. I look at um, from graduate entry level, um, and specifically, I work with people who are um, wanting to move and get a promotion to become a manager, or if they're a manager, how to become a, a, and go into becoming a senior manager or getting into the C-suite. Because we're taught technical aspects, we're taught so many different things, but we're not taught um, the runnings and the in and out of um, the politics of uh, corporate culture and how your career is important and the different aspects that you need to look at that are non-technical. Um, and, and that's my target market and who I work with. Okay, that makes, a, that makes a lot of sense. And what is also on your profile, it says you're a public speaker. 
were you always a public speaker or is that something you developed as a skill at the later stage? And if it was at the later stage, how did you develop it? So I, I put the title in, I would say recently, two or three years. Um, but if I look at my life and, and right from school days, uh, in high school already, I was always the student who was asked to represent the class. When there was anything that had to be said in assembly, I was the one who uh, by default and, and everyone already knew, well, she's going to do it. So I'd like to say, I mean, I put the title later, but from a very young age, and I'm an extrovert and I am, you know, I, my dad brought me up to be opinionated. So I'm always there giving my view. I'm, I'm there uh, fighting for the rest of, for those who are not speaking from my school days. I'd like to say I've been an activist and a feminist. So that came to me naturally. Um, and in, in a professional manner, I've actually, once I started my coaching um, and uh, I realized that there was a need and I was being asked to do that, I thought, okay, well, unofficially I'm doing it. Now let me officially add it on. Um, but it's something I've been doing uh, for years now. That's quite interesting. I, I've, got, I've had the opposite experience. I'm actually an introvert. Uh, I've actually learned to be a little bit of a public speaker. So it, it can be learned for, for, the, for the people out there. You, you're not stuck one way or the other. Exactly, exactly. And I also get nervous. I get the butterflies even now. Um, I, and I think it's just about, you know, getting over and, and learning some uh, tips and tricks. My best friend, before I do any public speaking assignment, she's on speed dial and I'm phoning her and I'm telling her how nervous I am. And she tells me, you've been doing it for years. And every time you go onto the stage, you phone me, you've got this, so you're fine. So, so it definitely can be learned. And it's very normal to experience that. Part of the process. I see you've, you're also quite involved in the African Women Chartered Accountants Organization. For, for the ladies out there, talk to us about what are the benefits for them to be part of the organization. Yes, so I've been part of them since I was a trainee. Um, definitely a huge benefit for those who are doing um, articles and especially even if you post articles, I found it to be a sense of community. Um, you know, being the first uh, woman in my uh, family who actually had a job and was qualified, I couldn't go at the dinner table and ask, uh, hey, dad, or hey, mom, I'm experiencing this, or I'm struggling with this, or how do I tackle this? Because they didn't come from that environment. And what the African Women Chartered Accountants did was give me a sense of that family and that community that I felt safe enough to go and say, I'm struggling with this, or I don't know how to do this. Um, you know, you have your more senior leaders in there that come to you, the, the different activities we have from assisting in terms of studying to career coaching to mentoring, and even just so you feel that you're not the only one struggling and, and going through this. Um, it, it's really important. It's key. Um, and I always say uh, when there's many women who add their voice to something, you're able to make the change that you need. And that's what they give us. Uh, you know, they, they give that platform to be able to do that, where we share, we learn, um, and we build more, more chartered accountants. Okay. When I looked again at, at, at your, your LinkedIn profile, and I saw that, I mean, you've worked at quite a few places, so I smiled because I could relate because I thought, there's someone looking for happiness and job satisfaction over money. <laughs> Was my assumption correct? 
Very much so. And I hate it because recruiters are constantly telling me you're a job hopper. And I'm like, I'm not a job hopper. I go into an organization. I do what it is that I said I would do. I deliver on, on it. And when there's no more for me to give and for me to learn, I have to move. And that's at times entails moving to another company to be able to. So it definitely is. It is when I lose the excitement of um, being able to deliver value and when I lose the excitement where you know and it's a reality at certain companies you hit your career ceiling and you know that it's going to be five six seven years till you get any further and you're at your maximum i'm a firm believer in growth and learning and delivering value that when i hit that it is time to move on because i'm changing that um you know i'm searching for that happiness that job satisfaction and that ability to learn and and deliver value and when i feel i can't do that it is time to move on um frowned upon by recruiters all the time but i would say go for it because it's the best thing i could have uh, done and and what i advise as well i can definitely relate and a part of of being able to learn i mean i've worked in jobs where i worked late at night but i was consistently learning so constantly carrying on and worked in jobs where you finish at five but you're learning nothing then it's like ah, what's the point you know rather look for something where you continue to grow exactly exactly i remember and my teams will tell you um at one of my roles when we were busy working on a mandate we used to work till 2 3 a.m but all of us were laughing all of us were smiling because we knew the purpose and we knew the bigger goal in terms of what we were achieving and all of us did it because we knew why um that motivation comes naturally and i have been in jobs uh, sometimes i've left within 3 months because i'm like i'm not making a difference and i'm not getting what i need so i'm not going to stay here if i'm not happy as as much as they pay me well i'm not going to my husband doesn't understand that concept but for me if it doesn't give me that happiness i leave i think you stress your family members out so i i, I can't do that because i, I <laughs> you've got a lot of things going uh, how do you manage the different requirements of your time that come from each of these different organizations and how do you manage like conflicts of interest so i always i struggle with saying no um i saw you even posted about it and i was saying should i comment on this or, or not yet i really struggled i've been a people pleaser for a very long time and there came a point in my career where because i was not saying no i was not able to deliver fully and i was very unhappy and i realized that i had to strategize so what i've done is i have a mission statement and and in terms of what i need to achieve um and every year before i take on anything i look at what am i involved in how does that help for me to achieve my mission statement that i have and that's both personally and professionally and if it doesn't meet those requirements i politely decline and that can happen where at times i am doing something in 2019 it meets my target but in 2020 i have to say goodbye because i've evolved past that and my needs have changed so um that's what i do i look at in terms of even in the organizations that i work with so with the african chartered accountant uh, african women chartered accountants in terms of the npos that i work with or even from a career coaching perspective etc i'm very 
selective. Um, I see what it is that you need. Does it match up with my skill set? And, uh, you know, I have a set number that I take on. And once I reach that, I do say no, um, because then I'm not doing justice to everything that I need to do. Um, I work in terms of dictating. Even, even my sons tell me, have you booked dinner on your calendar so you don't miss dinner with us? I, I swear I go by that. It works for me. Um, and I compartmentalize in that way. So there's a time for everything. It's scheduled. It's there. And I plan very well on that. And, and that really helps. And that also ensures there's no conflicts of interest because I'm doing everything that meets this bigger plan that I, I have and the targets that I meet. And my employers know. Um, you know, when I interview, I'm, I'm very open about it. I, I have a social uh, profile that they even see. So they also understand what it is that I bring and the other aspects. And, and they're very supportive because they understand that's who makes me holistically um, and the value that I can bring to them as a result. Very important. They need to understand. You need to be transparent and open about it so it can work for everyone. No, that's great. That, that, that keeps a good understanding. What's one piece of advice you would give your younger self? Explore more, um, say no more, so you can say yes to the things that, that you need to. And I, I was always um, so much afraid of failure because, you know, I was always told you can't fail. You have to pass everything. You have to be in the top three. I would tell my younger self it's okay um, and don't be so harsh on yourself when you fail because you learn so much from it. And when I started embracing that, I actually started becoming even more successful. So I, I would say that make those mistakes learn. Um, you know, say no to the things you don't want to so you can say yes to what you want to do. I'm going to move over to, to some questions, see if there's any questions coming through from the audience. We've got a question here from Oscar Wacha. He says, how did you start your first business? Did you quit your job first or did you begin the processes whilst employed? And what was the business and did you have clients yet? Lots of questions. I, one, but go for it. Yes. Um, and, and thank you, Oscar, for that. So. As my, my husband is the planner, I'm not the planner. I decide today what I'm doing and I go ahead. So Oscar, what I did was I left my job and I decided I'm going to start my business. I had no clients. I had no process set up. I literally resigned. And the next day I was an entrepreneur. I started two businesses. One was a catering business and one was an accounting um, practice because I was a CA and I felt, you know, I could do that. Um, and it took me three months to land my first client because I was so stubborn. I was so stuck on this is it and I'm not going to go and market and advertise and sell. I am here and the people will come to me. And I realized that that's not how business works. Um, now, when I work with entrepreneurs, I don't advise that people do the way that I did. They should learn from my mistakes, you know, look at it, identify what you want to do, look for clients, start it as a side hustle. Um, and especially where you are the breadwinner or where you don't have enough funds saved up. I mean, otherwise, where you've got, I would say, about nine months of cash flow available that you've saved while you're working, then you can jump the ship. But otherwise, no, look at it. Don't. Um, don't be stubborn, as I was saying, that your clients will come to you, market, advertise, network, communicate. Um, that that would be uh, my advice. You, you answered it a little bit as well, but there's a follow-up in terms of financing. 
in terms of business. So I would assume that I'm assuming it has to do with that nine months of, of expenses. Is there anything else in terms of financing, especially for that catering business? Because I'm assuming the accounting business, you don't need too much financing there. Yes, um, it didn't need much financing there. You need your laptop. And and I mean, you know, that was pretty much it for the accounting business. Also, I kept the uh, headcount low. I had a big network in terms of people who were happy to work on um, a temp basis. So as I got work and as I got audits, they would come in on a temp basis and help me. In terms of my catering business, I must say I was um, I was quite privileged because um, I have a very understanding husband who also helped to fund me so between my savings and him funding my business is is how i got um the financing and the catering business did quite well because i had a lot of um government tenders that i won um so the government work and being a, a smme they um you know would pay me timelessly and that helped to build up my cash flow quite well um if you are a business that um, requires more funding um, my advice is always to see can you get funding on your purchase orders that you've already got purchase orders committed especially if you're doing big orders um if you're in manufacturing etc um you know look at uh, po financing look at any government institutions that um do the financing i would go to the bank as a last resort i mean you can go but they're not willing to fund you so i'm saying don't waste your time on that look at within your own network um, and and that is how you you generally would get your business off in the first two three years. And if the bank willing to find you, it'll probably be an overdraft at an insane interest rate. So <laughs> yes, yes, I agree. Yes. I agree. Uh, she, she just made a comment that she's happy that there's somebody talking positively about job offers. So, so, so thanks for that. And then, Thank you, CJ. The recruiters are not, uh, I'm sure, not very happy with us. But um, yes, I, I, I'm. A firm believer of it. And then any any last few words or anything that we didn't discuss that you'd like the audience to know? Um, no, I think, you know, do you do what feels right for you? Um, you know, job hopping works for some people, you know, if I use that in, as an example, and it doesn't work for others. But it doesn't mean there aren't uh, positive items in that. If something stops serving your purpose and it doesn't bring you that happiness um, and generating the value of what you want, then don't do it. But in everything that you do, it's so fundamental to understand you. Um, to know who you are and to know who you want because you can go to a career coach I, I mean I do that you can go to a business coach you can go to a life coach you can go to your mentors you can go to your boss and each one of them will tell you what they feel from their reality and their perspective and until you don't know who you are and what you want um, you're never going to be able to unlock that. So even when I work with individuals, I always work on understanding who are you, what do you want, and then we work and we map around that. Um, that would be my advice. And, and also, you know, we, we don't talk about the importance of career coaching for mid-tier professionals. Um, we taught about technical aspects. It is so important. I stumbled across it by default, and I learned everything by default. And there's resources and tools and people there. Um, and there's nothing wrong in asking for that help. So, you know, if you feel and you need that, um, ask for the help um, and, and get what it is that you need. I think I'd leave it at that. Just to add, so, I mean, in terms of coaching, because they generally, like, companies pay for, for executive level. Um, and myself, I've got my own coach that I've, I've decided to invest in, and it's made a, a massive difference to me. So I, I, I can definitely 
echo uh, Fatima's thoughts. Can I slip one more question in? Let's just come come through if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, the name is not up there, but it says, is there a process that you follow in deciding that you are happy in a job? In your experience, how do you decide this and, uh, and how do you decide when is the time to move on? So when I consistently complain, for, we all complain about our job. Let me make that very clear. Even I do. There are things that I don't enjoy doing, but it's part and parcel um, of, of, of a job, right? You have things just like as in life, but where you're consistently unhappy over a prolonged period of time. And I would say, uh, you know, take three months. If in three months, it's something that's consistently uh, uh, makes you unhappy, that you don't have the power to change, and where you also feel that I am not delivering value and I'm not learning. Um, and if that feeling goes on for longer than, than three months, then, then it's definitely time and, and you know. Um, and in, in my experience, and, and because I've done it for, for a while, I can generally assess um, within you know six weeks, two months. When I started at the company I am uh, currently, I gave myself three months because when I went in there, it is chaotic, um, and I felt no. But, but I, you know, why I stayed because I knew the value I could deliver. I had a great, um, you know, great leaders who believed in me. Um, and they empowered me to be able to make the change that I wanted. So there were many things I was unhappy with, but I was empowered to build my team, to make the changes and to take ownership. And that's why it wasn't a reason for me to leave. It was a challenge for me to say, how can I change these things? And if you're not empowered and, and I can't make the changes that I need, then I would say, if you can assess that in a month, there's no point in spending three months and, and seeing that. So generally, you know, because you know yourself, you know, what you're empowered to do and you know what you can and can't do and and follow that never have i ever regretted um that decision when i've done it i think that's a great process uh like you said there's always some there's always something in a job that you won't like so you're never going to get the perfect job uh, i've got a, a 60 40 rule like as long as i'm 60 percent happy with the things that, that i do i'm good once it goes below that 60 then we need to start paying attention with what's going on here and we need to re either readjust or re-strategize exactly so exactly those are mine i normally end with a with a summary of, of what's next uh and i mentioned it last week as well but it will it, 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 be remiss of me not to mention or not to mention some of the violence that's been happening in certain parts of the world and the, the impact of colonialism that still impacts us to this day. Yes, we are young professionals who talk about business and career growth, but we need to be aware of the injustices happening in the world and try to make a difference, even if it's in our small way. It's our responsibility to be aware of these things because as we become more senior, we inherit the world from the people who are making these decisions. So do we want to continue in the same path or are we part of the change? And that's something I want to leave you with. Fatima, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And thank you everyone for joining us for another episode of Two Ways to Skin a Cat. Goodbye. Bye.